0: We continue in our verse-by-verse study of the gospel of Luke. We come in his great prophecy about the time of the end with Christ's own words about the final signs that would precede his coming and his coming, his return to the planet. So it's a marvelous text of scripture so full of all that we look forward to as believers. So let us hear the word of God, the words of Jesus. Who said, And there will be signs in sun and moon and stars, and on the earth distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. This is God's marvelous word about the wonderful return of his son. Our Father, we thank you for this great text. No human preacher can do justice to the greatest event in universal history. But God, come and allow me to step aside so that the fullness of your word can be heard, the size and scope of what it predicts understood, the implications for every hearer felt and known, and the great joy of the believer filled with anticipation. Lord, speak about your Son, Holy Spirit, through the opened text, and give us an understanding of all that is to come. Everything you wanted us to know, let us know. In Jesus' coming name, amen. Hey, you can be seated. Thank you. Amen and amen. Well, of course, you, if you're engaged in the world at all, know that tomorrow the most watched funeral of all time will occur. The funeral of Queen Elizabeth II. They're saying it will be the most watched television event in broadcast history. It'll be happening tomorrow. I've been uh, caught up like you in the remembrances of this remarkable woman and her role. She uh, captured the world perhaps as much in her death as she did in her remarkable life. the whole world, by virtue of media, has been able to take every step that uh, that uh, British subjects have taken in the week of vigil over the queen 's passing it 's been remarkable to watch uh, the whole world it 's kind of a worldwide wake of of going through remembrances of her and watching the the different places in which the casket has been kept and, and of course, now lying in state, uh, it was remarkable for me to watch the members of the royal family, first the children and then the next day the grandchildren, to come in full uniform and formal dress and to stand at the four corners of, of the funeral bier as, as the casket is in the middle and to hold vigil, I'd never really watched that before with bowed heads as they stood holding vigil and then everyday people from, from England just walked past them and paid their respects to the queen. The vigil lines uh, at, at one point yesterday and the final day were 24 hours long in terms of the wait. Amazing. To watch people wait up to 24 hours to walk by, and you could watch and look into the, fe- the faces and watch this flow of humanity. People from every nation, the, the, the ethnic background, the, the, the identity of England today, everyone was there, every high station and low station. You could tell by dress and how they handled themselves going by this casket. Most were reverent, bowing their head in respect or curtsying and having a moment in which they demonstrated their reverence for the queen but others were just simply curious you could see them walk by and they didn't stop and they looked with a sideways glance and then their eyes went up to that crown on top of the casket with its 400 precious jewels some were there out of full respect. Others were curious simply because they had a chance and maybe a day off to be part of world history. But all came. It was fascinating to see the formality, the, the bowed heads of the, the great hatted grenadiers. Have you watched them? And the changing of the guard every 30 minutes to refresh the, the, the tribute to the queen. The last time I watched on my smartphone, I noticed on the BBC live video, there were 40,000 other people watching with me. Somber and caught up in it. She is the most well-known monarch out of our times, and this was her passing, and it was a significant departure. But it is nothing compared to the future arrival Of the great monarch, the Lord of lords, the king of kings and queens, the king of all earthly rulers, the greatest, the king of the world, the rightful ruler of the planet, the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Far outscales anything we're watching. And you know what? You won't need a smartphone to see it. Because Revelation tells us In Revelation 1-7, that every eye shall see him. God in his marvelous power will make it possible for every human being on planet Earth at that great moment that Jesus promises his coming when he will be coming in a cloud with power and great glory. All will see him. And just as those who walked by the funeral casket yesterday of Queen Elizabeth, some were filled with reverence, some were there casually, Some were like Prince Charles, who's now King Charles, who unbelievably said the other day that he thought he would be ready for this, but he's not. Some will be ready, many will not be. Some will marvel at the king, but the Bible tells me already that most will mourn, Revelation 1-7, because they denied his rulership and they are not ready to meet him when when he visibly returns. But there will be not time for them. But today as I preach to you, there is still time for you. There's still time for anyone hearing my voice and hearing this word today to turn their hearts to the great coming King. And there are signs that were placed into human history, I believe, to show us that his great return is certain and it's nearing. And that's the point of this passage as we've been studying it over the last several weeks. Jesus was asked a question, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And I believe he answered it respectfully and said, there will be a number of signs and I will come. And so we're looking at this. I've titled the passage and uh, the series Jesus on the Last Days. The last days commence with the beginning of the church age, the ascension of Christ, and the giving of the Holy Spirit. They continue through these days, and they will culminate on that great day when He visibly returns again, as the angels promised. We're in the last days, they have stretched now for almost 2,000 years. But there will be an end of days and a final day of days when he returns visibly, just like he left. We now live in that portion of time where we can know he's coming and prepare for his coming. Now, Jesus said there are signs that will indicate that his return is closer. We've gone through them. I told you as I began studying this chapter weeks ago, I believe there are six signs, if you will, that Jesus describes events, uh, distinctions in the time of the end. I've been teaching them to you week after week. And now we come to the last two signs in these verses. I want to approach this in three ways. I want to give you the full setting of the times as as Jesus now gets to the very end of the tribulation period, actually, and goes far out into the future. So there's a setting of the times you need to understand. So we'll go through that first. Then there are two final signs in verse 25 and 27 that he talks about. And then finally, there's a response of faith in verse 28, how the believers alive at that time when he does return are spoken to here. But it is is a theme for all believers for all time. So we'll get to all of it today. First of all, let's go through the full setting of the times. As I said, this passage is the longest uh, answer to a question Jesus ever gave in his teaching ministry. It's actually more fully recorded in Matthew chapter 24 and 25. Two full chapters cover the greater details of his answer. Mark 13 also gives this uh, place of teaching. And Luke 21 Matthew 24 and 25 are the most expanded, uh, is the most expanded description of it. We're going to draw from that quite a bit today. If you go and put your finger here and go back to Matthew 24, you'll see, as I've mentioned several times, that this entire teaching was caused by a question, Matthew 24, 3. On the Mount of Olives, as he sat on the Mount of Olives that Wednesday night, probably in the midst of Passion Week, his final days on earth. The disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the close of the age. They didn't fully understand the nature of the question. They thought his return would be quite soon. They fully didn't understand even at that point that there was a cross that had to be mounted before the crown could be given. They didn't understand a great expanse of time that was coming. They thought he would come as the great Messiah uh, to restore Israel to dominance, to defeat her enemies, and to rule his earthly kingdom. And indeed, all of that one day will happen when he returns, as I'll tell you later in this message. That's what they were thinking. But, of course, the plan of God involved a cross, a resurrection, an ascension, and an entire age after that that we're in today, before he visibly returns. But Christ answered the question truthfully. He answered the question as it really is. What will be the sign of his coming? What will be the sign of the close of the age? Oh, I think he gave them a truthful answer. He began by talking about the fact that there will be different dimensions of experience and signs, if you will, that will occur over the span of the age to come before he returns. So he answers them and talks about them. I said that I've seen six signs here. We've already gone over four of them. The first three signs will occur over the balance of history from his ascension into the latter days. And they will intensify because Jesus described them in Matthew 24, verse 8, as like birth pains. And we already know through the the last weeks that birth pains increase in both in intensity as you get closer to the great moment and in frequency. And so we believe that that will be the truth about what Jesus talked about. And I believe Jesus said three things will happen in greater frequency and with greater intensity over the years of the age until he comes. And I believe we've been seeing all of that happen ever since he departed. I think this passage covers the life of the apostles all the way into the final moments before Jesus visibly returns. So it's history spanning. What were the three signs? Sign one, Jesus said, was that you will see growing spiritual deception and deceivers. That was verse 8. Where, where, if you go back to Luke 21 now from Matthew, where Jesus said, See that you are not led astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is at hand. He talks about deceivers, false messiahs, and spiritual deception, beginning during their lifetime, but intensifying until the very end. And I believe that's happening. I made a case to you to show you that in our time, we're seeing an increase in that as never before in church history. In in the spiritual history of the believing church and i believe that you're going to see it intensify into the time of the tribulation through the greatest deceiver the antichrist empowered by the world's greatest false prophet the false prophet himself you'll see a dual um, a team of deception and you'll see great deception moving throughout the world the bible predicts that in the book of revelation so we see it increasing and it will get to its apogee its highest point in years yet to come Sign two, he said, was you're also going to see human and natural upheaval. That was verses 9 to 11, where he talks about Don being terrified of wars and tumults, upheavals, and then talks about nation rising against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and then earthquakes and famines and pestilences, matters like this. You're going to see a broken, sin-cursed planet, slowly coming apart under the forces of sin and the curse. And you're going to see man and his depravity worsening. As the Bible says, Even wicked men will wax worse and worse, the King James says. They will become deeper, more deeply committed to their sin, and the world will reflect it human conflict and natural upheaval will occur and they will increase as the time of the end comes. And I made a case a few weeks ago to show you that those two factors are happening in ways that we've not seen them before in our age and they're only going to intensify. That's what the entire description of the tribulation is about. Those two factors human warfare and massive natural disasters and other things are parts of the arriving judgment of God. They'll intensify until Jesus comes back. I think we're seeing elements of that today, personal opinion. Then sign three, that was another one of the birth pains that will be rising in frequency and intensity, was begun. He introduced in verse 12, and uh, pardon me in verse, uh, verse 12 and he talked about before all this they will lay their hands on you and persecute you and then through verse 19 he talks about the third sign which is rising persecution they would taste it but all believers through the age until Jesus comes will walk into it and there seems to be a dimension in which that will rise over time and we know biblically that's true We know that persecution will be again at its greatest height in the time of the coming tribulation under the beast who will seek to destroy every believer on the face of the planet and who will be very, very successful at taking life for faith. And so you see this continuum and this intensifying. And I made the case a few weeks ago that that experts tell us that the persecution of believers has never been at the height that it is today in all of the history of the church. Over 200 million believers this morning living under serious to severe persecution for the name, the name of Jesus. And that's intensifying. Jesus said it'll worsen still. So those were the signs that we could describe as birth pains. And then last time we saw that Jesus shifted, and in verse 25, he talked about a very specific event. The first three were general trends, general experiences, general things that every age of of the church would see, and you will see intensifying toward the end of Uh, of the the time before his coming. This is a very specific sign that we studied last week, verse 20, but when you see, but makes it, he, he shows there's a distinction here. When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. And he talks about an event in the future when the nations of the world, the armies of the world, will surround Jerusalem. And I gave you that as the fourth sign. It's a sign that shows that the end is even closer because it's very specific. And that sign I described as the world against Jerusalem. This is an event yet future. I don't buy the arguments of those who call this a description of what happened in 70 A.D. for multiple reasons that I gave you last week, the chief one being that the Bible says it will happen only in a time when there will be great tribulation upon the earth as has never occurred before. This is something that will happen in the period of time known as the tribulation, yet future. And it's a time when the Antichrist will be on the move and the, the, the time when uh, all the prophecies about God's handling of history according to verse 22 all the things which are written are going to be fulfilled the great sweeping story of the Old Testament about how God was going to handle not only the nations but a disobedient Israel all of this is in play so we know that this is in a time yet to come and in that time Jerusalem will be surrounded by armies gathered by the Antichrist himself and the Antichrist will succeed in defeating Jerusalem. He will take the city just the way Luke describes the words of Jesus here. Verse 24 5, in the future Jerusalem will fall and the Jews will be taken and they will be taken out into nations in bondage. And they will be uh, under the domination of the Gentile world through the Antichrist right up until the return of Jesus at the end. So all of this is prophetic. All of this is spoken of by multiple Old Testament prophets. And that's what Jesus said was going to come so he's now vaulted time here in the earlier verses he's talking about the apostles time through the time of the church now in verse 20 he vaults time into the future tribulation And he's speaking, and this is written, I believe, for those who are believers at the time. We won't be here. We will have been taken in the rapture of the church. But other people will come to Christ. The gospel will still be mightily preached in the tribulation. And you'll have all kinds of people who are believers in Christ during the tribulation who are suffering, and they will read these words. And they will see Jerusalem surrounded by armies. And this is entitled there to comfort them and to let them know that when you see that happening, my coming, Jesus said, is really closer. Because I believe this happens at the midpoint of the great tribulation period. The tribulation, according to Daniel's prophecy in Daniel 9, will be seven years in length. And right in the middle of it, something that Daniel called the abomination of desolation. And it's described in Matthew's account of this. Jesus said that very event will happen when the Antichrist walks into a rebuilt temple in Jerusalem, built by Israel, where Israel is, is practicing its, its sacrifices in the future. He'll come and he'll set up an image of himself as God and demand to be worshiped by Israel and the whole world as God, the ultimate blasphemy, the ultimate abomination. And he'll succeed in swaying the world to worship him and he'll turn on Israel to exterminate them because he knows God's plans are all built around them for the future if he can take Israel out, no fulfillment of the prophecies of God. And then he'll turn his, his ire on every believer who names the name of Jesus. And the last three and a half years, you'll see worldwide persecution and worldwide loss of life by believers as never before. But Jesus is saying here, when you see this terrible event, and antichrist surrounding Jerusalem and taking it for a time, know that the desolation is coming. But in a way, my, t- my coming is closer than ever. So this was a very specific sign. With this sign, the end is close. Only three and a half years, possibly, from that great army surrounding and taking Jerusalem. Three and a half years and counting. Well, here Jesus shifts, and we get to the text that I just read to you to begin. If we go from the full setting of the times to the two final signs. I've given you the four I'm going to give you the two final signs now. Jesus shifts again in his description, and he says, and there will be signs in sun and moon and stars, and on the earth distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. This is the fifth sign. I would say... It shows the end is almost at hand. His arrival is imminent. It will happen at the end of the tribulation, and I call it astronomic upheaval. If you're taking notes, the fifth sign is astronomic upheaval because he says the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Something will happen in the very physical universe in which the planet sits that will be the hand of God upon it all. Some people, interpreters, say that that this is symbolic language. Of course, they think most of the book of Revelation is symbolic language. Symbolic of what? Well, they say we can't be sure, except that it must indicate that God is angry with sinners, and one day he'll deal with them. Oh, no, this was not symbolic. These events happened. We know that because of the context of the passage tells us that real people alive in that point of time in verse 26 saw it, were distressed, were perplexed, were filled with fear and fainted. And and came under such terrifying fear that some of them may have even have died of fear. So no, this is not symbolic language. The text tells us that these were real events in the in the heavens involving the sun and the moon and the constellations that they saw. You say, how is that possible? Listen, it's predicted by God. He masters the universe. He is outside of it. It 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 tilts and rolls in in the crease of his palm. If he tilts his hand a little bit and wants to put it on its edge, can he do it? Can he do it? Of course he can. I'm not going to limit the the incredible predictions of my God with the, the demanding restrictions of my mind. God here says that there will be an astronomic upheaval. Now when will it happen? Jesus says, and there will be signs in sun and moon and stars. And notice, verse 27, there's, very, there's no time gap between these great events where, where we see things happen in the, in the, in the atmospheric heavens and in the, the, the planetary bodies themselves and his return. So this must be at the very end of the time. And I think scripture backs this up. If you go back to Matthew 24, like I said, it it, it brings a lot of detail to all of this. And verse 29, Matthew tells us that Jesus actually added the, the statement of when this fifth sign will occur. Verse 29, Jesus in Matthew, Matthew tells us he also said, Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened. And the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven. And there is the phrase again, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Next verse, then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and he will return. So you see it happens at the end of the tribulation, when all of the tribulation events have occurred. It's at the very end of all of this, and it's the last event before he breaks the skies and comes and we see him. You're with me so far. This is how the scripture seems to indicate these going one to another. Well, you might, have asked, you might ask, well, if this is all building up to that, what else will have happened during that time? Well, the tribulation period itself, these seven years of, of ultimate judgment by God and deep sin and rebellion by humanity, that's what, what have, that is what have, will have rolled to its, its culmination, if you will. Now, what would have happened on earth during the tribulation period? All those things that Jesus predicted would, that would happen during the worsening of human history will go into overdrive in the tribulation. Remember, I talked to you about deception and spiritual deception and apostasy and, and, and just incredible deception about who God is and who Jesus is. That will escalate in the tribulation time to untold levels. The, the, the natural disasters that will occur uh, and the warfare of man breaking out in, in, uh, in his own way against uh, kingdom against kingdom, nation against nation. That's all going to escalate according to the book of Revelation in the tribulation. And persecution, it will be at an unbelievable high level, as I've already told you. So all the early signs are just going to escalate dramatically when the tribulation begins. Evil will run rampant. The church will be gone. The the limiter of evil through the presence of the Holy Spirit in his church will no longer be on the earth according to the Thessalonians. And so you will naturally see the wickedness of man just go without boundaries. As Jesus said, it will be again like in the times of Noah, when every thought in the heart of man was murder and evil continually. You will see mankind, as worse, worsening. He'll never get to the limit of what we believe he's going to be capable of doing. Deception, disaster, persecution will all come. And of course, the Antichrist will rise to his place of world dominance. The first three and a half years of the tribulation being viewed as a figure of peace and unity and remarkable Uh, power unifying the world and bringing in a false peace but then turning against not only Israel in the midpoint but against all the nations of the world demanding worship exerting dominance in every way economically socially politically physically over all the, the the inhabitants of the earth you'll see all of that At the midpoint, it shifts into the great tribulation when he besieges Israel and temporarily defeats her and he goes on his final mission to destroy the Jewish people utterly and all other believers who name the name of Jesus. And all of this escalates and escalates and escalates and I believe all of that occurs and gets to a high point and that's what we see happening just before uh, Luke 21 verse 25. So that's what happens on earth. There's something else happening during the tribulation from heaven. You know what that is. Beginning in Revelation chapter 6 all the way through into the end of Revelation chapter 18, you see that as mankind's wickedness is increasing and his defiance of God is growing and all of this is occurring and getting to a maximal point, a holy and righteous and just God stands it no longer and now begins to bring out his final judgment on a Christ-hating and and goodness defying world what is that? It's the judgment of, of Revelation. Now the Bible tells us in the book of Revelation that there are three distinct stages to the judgment of God that begins to fall as the tribulation begins and right up until its ending. You can read about them in those six chapters. There are the seal judgments. They're talked about in in Revelation chapter 6, early in the tribulation period, whether it's the red horse of judgment at a seal ch- number two where peace is taken from the earth and God finally lets man have his blood bloodthirsty wishes kingdom against kingdom nation against nation all the restrictions are gone and man begins to destroy himself or judgment number three the black horse of famine the, the seal number three moving throughout the planet as never before just as jesus predicted in our text after that the seals are done then we get to the trumpet judgments The sixth seal is, seventh seal is open and out of that come trumpet judgments that go farther into the tribulation. And there is a gathering of those. There are uh, seven trumpet judgments as well. Seven, by the way, many people thinking be the number of perfection, indicating that God will perfectly and thoroughly judge mankind when the time comes. Seven trumpet judgments are heard from the hallways of heaven and they will be fierce and they will be in greater intensity and they will demonstrate the power of God over nature, bringing it to bear upon a disobedient world. Whether it's trumpet judgment, number one, where hail and fire fall upon the entire planet, massively destructing much loss of life or so many others. Or trumpet judgment number six, where God finally allows the hosts of hell, the demons that have been kept in a pit because of their greatest wickedness to be let forth on the earth and an army of 200 million demonic beings is let loose on the face of the planet with a power to kill so that one third of the people alive die under their wickedness. These are significant things. It is the judgment of God escalating on a deserving planet. And finally, you have the bowl judgments, tipped out from the hallway of heaven, filled with the final wrath of God. And these are extremely severe, whether it's bowl number one with harmful and painful sores that cover all human beings on the planet that don't have the, the mark of Christ, or another bowl where the oceans and the fresh waters turn to blood. Or bowl judgment number four, where massive solar flares, perhaps we don't know, but the Bible says in Revelation 16, 9, every individual on the planet is scorched with fierce heat from the sun. Or judgment number seven, the final bowl, where the worst earthquake the world could ever experience is experienced all over the globe. Every tectonic plate, every square foot of the earth, shattered and moved by the greatest earthquake ever experienced where every island will sink and every mountain will crumble. The topography of the very world will change under the wrathful hand of God, and all the people on the earth at that time who are still alive will live through that. These, that's what's coming from heaven. Now, that's all that fills the space between verse 20 and verse 25. And then Jesus says, even that's not going to be the end. <laughs> There is a a sign at the end that goes from man and from the planet to the very heavens, the universe above it. God's going to shake that too. See, all of that's not the end because even under all those judgments, most people, according to Revelation 19.11, will not repent of their wickedness. Isn't that astounding? That all of that could fall and all the gospel could be preached throughout the world. In miraculous ways, God's going to see the gospel go out around the world in ways we can't even imagine. But the Bible says in Revelation 19, 11, most of them did not repent of their evil. And so you've got, you've got, the, 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 you've got the, the defiance of man, and then you have the dominance of the Antichrist pressing his kingdom forward in the midst of all that judgment, all that chaos. And when Antichrist's hatred and murder against those that love the name, his maniacal rule and continues and he regathers armies again and he comes against Jerusalem again. He's at his peak of mad influence, satanic power. And the nations gather around his deception and they gather themselves again around Jerusalem then God's final judgment falls in the form of this last sign when he takes the universe itself and shakes it astronomic upheaval as you can imagine now the question would be when he says here signs in sun and moon and stars earth distress and the powers of the heavens shaken what will that be and i would stand here and tell you i cannot tell you nor imagine all i know is that the physical universe will be shaken by the hand of god now jesus gave us some insights like i said in matthew 24 he gave us a little bit more detail <clears throat> about what this will appear to be in matthew chapter 24 and verse 29 Immediately after the tribulation, like I said, when the wickedness gets to its highest point and the judgments have fallen to their highest point, then God will, well, he says, after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. That's how he described it. I'm going to leave it with him. This is not symbolic, it's not imaginary, it's not allegorical, it's not literary, it's actual. How can you imagine what it would be like? None of us can because we've lived in a fully intact, divinely preserved, creator-kept universe. Even though the curse of sin is upon it, God in his mercy has kept it all together, but you're gonna see the hand of God shake the very universe the planet abides in. I don't know what it's going to be like it appears that the sun will be affected in some way. The sun will be darkened. It appears the moon will be affected. By the way, in our text it says the whole world will be perplexed at the moving of the seas. We do know from our limited perspective that when you alter the activity and the balance of heavenly bodies, that affects the earth, doesn't it? Which, which planetary body affects the tides the most? Answer, not a planet, the moon. The moon. All of these things will come into play. You say, what could it be like and how could he do it? You know, quite frankly, he wouldn't have to do much because of the delicate balance and dimension in which the entire physical universe is kept. If, if the axis of the earth is tilted a fraction of a degree from the 25.3 degree place upon which it stands right now, massive things would happen around the globe that would be catastrophic beyond words. Here he says the sun is darkened. How is he going to do that? Um, he's God. I, I, take your unbelieving, skeptical, self-serving, minimizing, ridiculous attitude toward the God of the universe and junk it. He says he will shake the heavens. How he does it is up to him. But I know, I know that he just needs to nudge it, and we're in trouble. The sun will be darkened. I, looked at the, I don't know if that's going to be literally or if it's going to be an impression of that because of catastrophe on the planet. I don't know, but the light of the sun is not going to get to the earth. I did a little research, and I, and I, I researched what could happen if the light of the sun didn't get to the earth for any span of time. Here's one researcher that I found this week. Of the doomsday scenarios out there, this person writes, one of the most frightening is some kind of disaster involving our sun, from coronal mass ejections taking out the power grid to the sun becoming so bright it would scorch everything on the Earth's surface. There's a lot that could happen. (laughs) This researcher writes, the Earth is about 93 million miles away from the sun. But what would happen if the sun went cold and decided to take a break for a week? I just love the language. We're so arrogant. What would happen if the sun went cold and decided to take a break for a week? For starters, it would take us about eight minutes to realize anything was wrong since it takes that much time for sunlight to reach the earth. However, after that, changes would rapidly begin unsurprisingly the earth wouldn't go completely dark after those first eight minutes the sky would definitely dark, be dark but we could still see a pale light reflecting from other planets in the sky but that faint glow would last for only about an hour and after that the sky would eventually darken we wouldn't see the moon anymore because it also reflects the sun's light of course elementary science right luke 21 but we would still see distant stars in the sky. And we will see, according to Luke 21 and Matthew 24, God's going to deal with them, too. And we're going to see things in them we've never seen, if we're here. But he concludes, if it the, if, but if the sun went cold and dark, temperatures on earth would drop, okay? But they wouldn't plummet right away. So this is good news, it sounds like it would take about a week for the entire Earth's temperature to drop to around 32 degrees Fahrenheit. So in a week, the entire planet would be at freezing, and then it only gets colder. Is that comforting to you? I don't want to be reading the books you're reading, I'm telling you. Longer term, it would drop to around minus 150 degrees Fahrenheit within a year. That's one week without light. Now, whether God does this to the sun itself or he does it through the events on the planet, catastrophic. He can do whatever he's going to do. You say, how's he going to do it? He's God. Now, what's going to be the response of people? Go back to Luke 21. Again, this is not symbolic language. They will see it. It will be real. And on earth, distress of nations in perplexity. And people will be fainting with fear and with foreboding. There's going to be a real response to real disaster. Distress. Fear. The word fear there in verse 26. Sinoke in the Greek, pretty unusual word. It was the deepest fear you can experience. It's fear that leaves you in unrelenting Anguish. You could translate it, I guess, overwhelming and overpowering anxiety, fear that will not let you go. That's what's going to be common. That'll be every moment on the planet if you're a person living at that time. Perplexity. The nations, they'll be in perplexity. What's that? That's only used here in the New Testament. The only time it's ever used. I I just find that to be the Holy Spirit's way of making a singular point. It'll never be like this. Until then, you think the nations are perplexed now? You think people don't understand the the nature of what to do or what's going to happen? It'll be at an ultimate level on that day. Meant confusion in its most severe form. I put it this way, the world will be incurably, unstoppably anxious and incurably confused. (laughs) Now just, just stop for a minute and think, could that ever happen to the planet? Could, that, could, could an event ever happen that would affect every nation in the world, every person in the world, that would be something we've never experienced before and never really imagined, and it keeps the world in a state of being unstoppably anxious and incurably confused, whether you're the guy on the street or the president in the palace? Could anything like that ever happen? Um, has anything like that just recently happened? Think about the COVID experience. Am I saying COVID's a sign from God? No. But I'm saying it's an example of the fact that worldwide events that affect the nature of, of life on the planet can create unstoppable anxiety and incurable confusion. And we've already had a slight taste of that, haven't we? I don't need to go into the detail about The damage and the change that's happened to people's lives, people's emotional lives. I mean, they did a study, the Lancet Medical Journal, about mental health since COVID. Mental health dramatically declined worldwide in 204 different countries. 53 million additional cases of major depressive disorders. 76 million additional cases of anxiety disorders. People incurably confused and unstoppably anxious. It goes on today. You think people on the planet can be affected by what God does? Absolutely. It's a mercy from Him to get them to turn to Him. He's one day God's going to take the heavens and tilt them. He's going to cause them to go into upheaval. What if with COVID God's finger just twitched a little bit? I don't know. But I've always felt that mankind in his arrogance has never really understood the mighty power of God and the fragility of rebellious human life. And the last couple years have caused me to wonder. Fear, perplexity, foreboding. Some people, it, it actually says here, are going to be so filled with fear that they're going to faint. They're going to, verse 26, and again, some commentators have looked at that. The actual Greek word means to be separated from your soul. It was a word that could be used to describe actual physical death. There may be a time when you see this all happening and the sun and the moon and the stars and everything else, whatever God God does, that you will be so struck in your core that you feel your world is coming to an end, because it is. And you'll be so struck by it that you will not physically survive it. Is that possible? Can people be scared to death? Yes. It's called stress cardiomyopathy. It's gotten a lot of study lately because doctors discovered perfectly normal people dying of sudden cardiac events who happened to be within the vicinity of the Twin Towers several days later. So now there's a whole field of study on stress cardiomyopathy. I don't know what to say. All I know to say is that this will be a time of unprecedented judgment by God. And it will be a sign. It will be an opportunity to yet turn to him. With all of that said, with everything I just described about the horrors of the tribulation, the escalation of the hour, the severity of judgment, the massive suffering, the deep and dark evil, the rise and the dominance of the Antichrist, don't you think this would be a good time in this text right after that for Jesus to come back? Amen. Good, because he does. <laughs> Next verse. And then... They will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. He will not let this go on forever. He doesn't judge except with mercy in his heart. He's going to bring wickedness to a close and he's going to send his Son back and make it right. That leads us to the next, a final sign, the Son of Man himself, verse 27. And then they will see the Son of Man coming. You say, six signs, Pastor. I thought you said six. Yeah, Jesus is the last one. He's his own sign. Matthew 24, verse 30 says they will see the sign, which is Jesus. That's the Greek. So when all of this comes to its highest point, then Jesus will come back, and the world will suddenly see him. Something will happen in the heavens that's bigger than the sun going dark or the moon disappearing. The stars falling. The sun will be returning. And the Bible says the whole world will see him. Just as the angel predicted in Acts chapter 1, he will come again just the way he left. How did he leave? Physically. People teach today the return of Jesus is kind of a spiritual event and it's already happened. No, visibly and gloriously. Luke 21 says that he'll come on a cloud just as he left in a cloud, signifying the very presence and the glory of God. All the disciples, every one of them, couldn't get their eyes off of him as he rose on that ascension day. And you know what? When Jesus comes back, every person on the planet will not be able to get their eyes off of him on the day of his return, both those that are ready for him and those that are not. How do I know this? Revelation chapter 1 and verse 7. Revelation 1, seven. Behold, he's coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. He's coming back. Most people will have defied him and denied him and they will not be ready to face him, but they will see him. And they'll say, oh no, there he is. won't need a smartphone. Somehow God in his marvelous power will present his son to everyone. He'll come not only on a cloud, but Luke tells us that he'll be coming, Jesus said, I'll be coming back with power and glory. Look at his own words. When I come back, I'll be coming in a cloud with power and great glory. What's the power all about? The power to judge those who've rejected me and the power to judge those who've sinned against my Father. He will be coming, and it will all be over, and he will have the power to judge. This is brought out in 2 Thessalonians in a clearer way. This is a chilling text if you've rejected Jesus Christ. But a great text if you love him. Second Thess one talks about him coming back. The Lord Jesus, verse seven of Second Thess one, is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. That's what He's coming back with power to do. That's when there's no more time left. That's when there's no more time to decide. That's when it's all. All are going to become real that's when he's going to judge the nations that's when he's going to judge all people that have defied him time is up it's the final sign he is the final sign that's what he'll come with power to do but then he also said i'll be coming in glory in other words i'm going to be coming as the wonderful savior king that i am and i'll receive worship how's that look further in second test one next verse When he comes on that day to be what? Glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. Jesus is not just coming back to judge and he'll not see just a planet in fear of him. He's going to come back to people that love him. And when they see him, they won't say, oh, no, there he is. They'll say, at last, there he is. And every believer on the planet will worship him. But you know what? Somebody else will be there to glorify him too. Revelation 19 talks about this return as well. And it says that when Jesus comes back, he won't be alone. Revelation 19, 14, and the armies of heaven arrayed in white linen, fine and pure, white and pure, were following him on white horses. You know who that is? us the church he took with him the believers he died for the blessed bride of Christ that he raptured out of all that wrath we will have been in heaven with him celebrating enjoying his presence experiencing the greatness of Christ in perfection and righteousness we'll have received our rewards at the great Bema seat and the Bible says we will join him We will return with him and we'll be singing his glory as we break the sky together. Not just judgment, but glory. And in a moment, everything will begin to turn and all the agony of the ages will begin to be made right. At his first coming, Jesus came to reveal the Father. At his second coming, he'll be revealing himself. At his first coming, oh, he died for sinners. At his second coming, he will judge sinners. At his first coming, it was a coming that was obscure and largely unnoticed. It happened in a corner of the world, and few gave him heed. At his second coming... Every eye will see him. His first coming, he came to bring redemption. At his second, he returns to bring retribution. Make no mistake, the mercies of God will not last forever. The patience of God will have its finish. At his first coming, he came offering a kingdom. His second, he returns to establish it both on earth and in heaven first coming he came in humility this time he returns in glory the first time he came to die the second time he will come to reign he will return to reign the first time his blood was spilled by his enemies and this may be hard for you to hear but the last time he'll return to spill the blood of his enemies he is the king of kings he's a righteous god he will deal with sin and wickedness and if you've tasted sin and wickedness you will say amen The first he came as a lamb, the second he returns as a lion. And in a moment as he returns, all that was wrong begins to be made right and all the great story of the universe will come to its great conclusion. Now when he returns, sets foot on the Mount of Olives, he won't be done. Revelation and the prophets tell us that he will Defeat the gathered armies of the world gathered around Jerusalem yet again with the word of his mouth, destroy them all. He'll condemn the Antichrist and the false prophet to the lake of fire immediately so the great demonic deceivers will be done. He'll regather Israel from the four points of the world and though they denied him in time, all of Israel alive at that time, according to Paul in Romans, will see the one they pierced. They'll be struck with repentance and all Israel will come to Jesus, and there'll be a mighty, mighty revival, and they'll be ready to inherit their promises, which he keeps on his own. He'll regather them. He'll sentence those alive at the time who who meet him and are not ready for him. They're, They're the goats. He will sentence them to an eternity without him, but there will be sheep on the earth at that time, people that have come to Christ. They will be brought into the joy of their master. There'll be this great moment of God's son dealing with people on the planet. He'll resurrect the Old Testament saints after that, and they will be a part of the the times to come. He'll bind Satan. For a thousand years, he'll partially renew the planet, and he'll reign from Jerusalem with Israel in the focal point of it all, and you and I reigning with him so that his kingdom really will come back to the earth for a thousand years. We'll live every minute in our resurrected bodies with him. It's going to be amazing. And then at the end of that, he'll raise all men and women, all the dead from all time. He'll cause the earth and the heavens to completely disappear except for his great white throne of judgment. And he'll judge all unbelievers from all time and send them into eternity without him. And then a new heavens and earth will be created and the new Jerusalem will descend upon it. And then we shall go into the eternal state with him, world without end. Amen. That's all to come. But the visible return of Jesus sets all the great restoration in motion. Now let me tell you, if he's planning to do all that, I want him to come back, don't you? (laughs) And that's why he will. Not just to judge, but to bring his kingdom. And we'll all be part of it as his beloved bride. There's a last response, and with it I close. You go back to the passage. In verse 28. Jesus said, now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads. I love the old King James, because your redemption draweth nigh. What's that all about? Who was he speaking to? Figuratively to the disciples, but I think that that's a verse that will have its full meaning in the end of the tribulation. He says these things. What things is he talking about? I think he's going back to verse 20 and verse 25. When you see the events of the tribulation happening and Jerusalem surrounded in the middle of it by the Antichrist, if you're a believer at that time, you'll be reading this, and he's saying, when you see that happen, know that it's not long. you are in the middle of the tribulation, and I'll be coming soon. Then he says, when you see the sun go dark and the moon disappear and the stars fall and the the universe shaken, verse 25 to 26, oh, you'll know I'm at the door. And the next thing you see, beloved, will be me. So if you're alive in the tribulation at that time and you're a believer, you might have this verse memorized by then. And you will be one of those who will be able to straighten up and raise your head And get ready for the return of the king. (laughs) That's when I think that's going to happen. But you know, it's in my Bible too. (laughs) And I love that verse. I apply it to me by saying, listen, Jesus gave us some things to, say, to look at and to know that if you begin to see these things happening, know that they mean the time of my return is approaching. When you see spiritual deception, when you see massive persecution and you taste it, endure it, but be of good cheer because the more you're persecuted, the closer I'm coming the closer my return. And all these signs that we've studied over the last few weeks, they are things that ought to cause you to say, Lord Jesus, things are getting bad. That means you must be getting close. And I look for your return. Could he come for us today in the rapture? Oh, yes. These things make me believe it's nearer than ever. So I want you to take good cheer out of this passage. Unless you don't know the Lord. Lord. If you don't know the Lord, you'll have the terrifying part in the last chapter. Don't write that for yourself. Turn to Jesus Christ. While you may.